Radio, Luke's Gospels, where we are. Now, this, this year marks the 46th anniversary of the death of the king. Uh, the king is most likely dead. And I say most likely because there were so few people to witness the actual death that some would argue that the king still lives on. And there have been many sightings, many Elvis sightings, frequenting 7-Eleven late at night, fast food joints, and apparently a lot of them showing up and competing in Elvis lookalike competitions. So I'm told. Uh, this photo was taken recently by Mr. G. Larson. And yet the authenticity of this one, I think, is questionable. <laughs> now, today, of course, we also celebrate the anniversary of another king who died. And yet this king's death is not mourned, but celebrated. Celebrated and commemorated, as we're doing here today. And more than just his memory is alive, for not only were there countless people who witnessed his death and could vouch for it, so too there were multiple verified sightings of his resurrection, on one occasion more than 500 people at the same time. Uh, this king has millions more followers worldwide than Elvis, and we're talking 20 centuries later, not just 46 years, and he promised a whole lot more for his followers than Elvis ever could. This king promised a place in God's kingdom. This king, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, promised a place in paradise with him. And that promise was made publicly to a criminal. People hearing it made publicly. A criminal who was dying on a Roman cross beside his own. But how could Jesus promise paradise to a criminal? Who is Jesus to promise heaven to anyone? Is he more than just the king of the Jews? Is he also the king of the living and the dead? Because only such a king could make such a promise. And if he can promise eternal life to a dying criminal, well, what about for us? What about for you and me? Is, is a place in God's kingdom available to more than just that guy? Well, that'd be helpful to find out, wouldn't it? And we find that out by taking a close look at what's been recorded for us in the Bible by Luke in this passage we had before us. Now, you can see that this brief run across what is only 31 verses doesn't take very long to read, but as we look at it, we witness here, and we saw it in that picture, we witness Jesus walking to the cross, talking and teaching along the way. Well, we witness him being crucified actually dying, being taken down and laid in a tomb by this man called Joseph of Arimathea. And one of the really odd things about it, you probably notice it, was what wasn't written there, what wasn't spoken and recorded. See, as human beings, we generally find death fairly fascinating. Death and the brutality of death in all its grisly detail is something, well, we're squeamish, but we like to know. We want to know. Uh, for centuries, executions have always been a family event. Bring in the crowds. Let's watch this and let's see it happen. And 
we are all ghoulishly kind of spellbound by suffering, aren't we? I mean, think of the way traffic slows down as you come up to an accident. That road was cleared hours before, but there's still something to look at. Oh, wow, gee, that nasty one. And we say this, don't we? We want to get a good look. In fact, it's now normal, it's now normal for people to pull out their phone and take a video of somebody who is injured. It's more likely to take out a a phone, do a video, than to help. Uh, This is one of the great problems all the emergency services have with clearing an accident scene. It's the people standing there with cameras. Look, quick, where's my phone? Not to call the emergency services, but to start recording. This is what we're like. And, well, let's just admit it, this is what we're like. And even in the Bible, deaths are often gruesomely described, but not here at the crucifixion. Did you notice that? There's no description here besides they crucified him there in verse 33. And in verse 48, he breathed his last. Luke skips over the blood. He skips over the beating, the nails, the humiliation, the agony of suffocation, uh, the weakness from dehydration and blood loss. All those things, they just go unstated. And this is really unusual, not just for a human, but it's really unusual also for Luke, who in every other detail here is totally focused. In every way, he's focused on all the details. You probably notice that too. It took 31 verses to describe it because he was describing everything that happened around it. Notice the descriptions of the people who were present. Uh, Who was there? What they carried? Where they were standing? uh, What they said? What time it was? And even the temple curtain and the weather, they all get a mention. But aside from declaring that Jesus actually died, that it actually happened, the details of his death are omitted. They're not there. Why? Well, it's because Luke wants the significance of Jesus' death to be the thing that we pay attention to. The significance of the death. Yes, he died, absolutely, we've got to record that, it's recorded. But what's the significance of it? And we know that Luke wants that to be the focus because that's what he declared back at the very start of his gospel. If you were to take one up and look back at chapter 1 of those, you'll find there that he wrote all these things so that we can have the certainty about the things we've been told and taught, so that we have certainty about what they mean, not just that they happened. Uh, Luke's details here also, as we then consider them, they tie into all the ancient Jewish prophecies of the Old Testament. So if we were to open a Bible and if we were to go back and look in a bunch of places like Isaiah 42 and we come back to Psalm 22 and if we go to Amos chapter 8, what we find there are words and phrases that are all picked up here in Luke's account. And it's prophecies like those, that explanation in the Old Testament, that, well, that explain for us what's going on and why what's happening was happening. They supply for us the significance about why the curtain temple was torn in two. Why why is that important? Why is it significant that it happened right then? What's the significance with the darkness? The method of death being lifted up. Uh, The burial in a rich man's tomb and the mocking and the wine vinegar and the women weeping 
and every other detail that was read out for us there, all of them in between, all of them are significant. So, for example, one of these, Isaiah 53, written eight centuries earlier, 800 years earlier, speaks of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, whilst also explaining what was going on as he died. Uh, Here's a snippet of it, I'll put it on the screen. Uh, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Friends, Jesus wasn't there on that cross because he was guilty. No, 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 he wasn't guilty. He was officially and publicly declared innocent at his trial before many witnesses. Rather, Jesus went to that cross so he could take the punishment for all who trust him. Jesus didn't come to serve himself like some self-indulgent rock star. No, Jesus is the king who came to serve his people. And his greatest act of service was to give his life for those who follow him. And so, as a king in complete control, Jesus bowed his own head and gave up his spirit. Well before time, well before they expected he, anyone would die on a cross. And it took a long time. No, he bowed his own head, gave up his spirit. No one could take his life from him. He gave it up by choice. And he gave it up, as was prophesied, so that we can have peace with God. Just as Isaiah promised, the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. And so Luke drags our focus onto the people who were present. If that's what was really going on, if that's what was going on behind it all, along with it all, then what did the people there think about it? What did those witnessing, because there was a lot of them, wasn't there? What did they think about all this? I'm sure you noticed their reactions as we went through that. Reactions that firmly divided them all into two groups. Divides them into two groups, because there's only two possible responses to Jesus. Either he's the king we follow, or he's the king we reject. The king we follow or the king we reject. A bit like an election. We've just done one of those. The one we follow, the one we reject. And we mark that out with a vote. Well, in elections we do that. And as we saw here in this passage, and as it's true for all of us today, it's our words and our actions, our words and our actions that betray which of those two groups we presently belong to. Do we follow the king or do we reject? So we read here of the actions and words of a whole bunch of those people. They were detailed for us so that we could see them. Uh, There were the rulers, 
who were accusing. There were spectators, there were soldiers. There was one of the criminals crucified with Jesus and all of them placed themselves firmly against Jesus in that moment. So check out uh, the sentence there with the verse, uh, the number 35 before it. It describes one of these. They all sneered at Jesus saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And so to the Roman soldiers, verse 36, uh, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And so they mocked him with wine vinegar in a pretend act of mercy that would actually make him thirstier. Jesus is definitely not their king. Uh, the sentence there with 39 in front of it. One of the criminals crucified there alongside him gets in the act too and he hurls insults at Jesus and says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. For that man, Jesus deserves contempt because all he has done is supply false hope. For he fails to do what is so obviously, so obviously necessary, obvious in the eyes of that man. And therefore, Jesus is the king he rejects. The king he rejects. But then in verse 40 and 43, uh, we meet the second criminal. This second criminal who was totally opposite to the other. And he rebuked the first guy. Starts telling him off. Don't you fear God, he says, since you are under the same sentence? We, you and I, mate. Well, actually, no, his hands were like this. Uh, we, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, well, he's done nothing wrong. He's not angry at Jesus. He's not even angry at his executors. He's not, he knows his punishment is deserved. He's there justly. He demands nothing. He simply asks for something. He asks, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And by some means, this criminal in this moment has come to understand that Jesus' kingdom will not be stopped by death. He knows that he doesn't qualify for Jesus' kingdom. No, he certainly doesn't. He's there, and justly so. And so he appeals to nothing more than Jesus' mercy. He appeals to his mercy. And boy, he hit the jackpot, didn't he? Oh, he hit the jackpot. For the person who trusts Jesus is precisely the kind of person Jesus came to save. The person who trusts Jesus is precisely the kind of person that Jesus is on that cross for. And he assures that man of salvation with those immortal and most wonderful words, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And at that precise moment, something outrageous happened. An undeserving criminal, a transgressor, was given the keys to heaven, the keys to the kingdom. He was lost. Oh, but now he's found. He was separate, but now he has been brought near. 
For when he put his trust in Jesus, the iniquities of this criminal, his, his sins left him in, in tiny specks, in large spikes and in huge layers. All of it lifts up from him and it doesn't disappear into thin air like in the movies. No, no, it's shifted over. It's shifted over and covered Jesus instead. Every evil thought, word and deed, everything done and everything that he had failed to do. His malice, his pent-up anger, his lust, his unforgiveness, his self-centred desires, everything. All those things, not just the things that they put him on the cross for, all, all things, done and undone. Every unholy thought, act, deed left that criminal and covered God's son instead. And in that same instant, in that same instant, the purity of Jesus, his innocence, his obedience, his delight in God as God's son lifts from him and covers over that dying criminal instead. He's not left in a neutral position. No, he is clothed with Christ. God himself freshly dresses that criminal, not with clean cloth, but dressed with his son, Jesus. Jesus, the one without sin, without iniquity, without transgression, becomes sin-covered. And the one covered with sin becomes sinless. It's, it's the great reversal. It's a direct substitution. One in for the other occurred. An outright exchange, an outrageous exchange is made. The moment that man acknowledged that Jesus is his king. Hallelujah. That this is even possible. How wonderful. And yet, it's, it's even more wonderful because... The criminal wasn't the only one that happened to. Uh, did you notice what else was written there by Luke? Did you notice the other reactions, what happened? The change of mind that occurred with a centurion who was watching on, it was there in that sentence with 47 in front of it. Seeing what had happened, he, he praised God and he said, surely this was a righteous man. Oh, something's going on there. And the people they gathered to watch who were... at earlier just you know hurling abuse well they now beat their breasts in contrition something's going on there joseph of arimathea likewise well he wasn't afraid to be united with christ in his death so to the women who had followed jesus from galilee who stood vigil there as faithful witnesses well, like that second criminal oh, something's going on that day other people changed sides that day as they acknowledged Jesus as their king. And that change of side is still possible today. Oh, it's still possible today. That's the wonderful significance of Jesus' death on the cross that the entire Bible points to. That's why Luke wrote. That's why it was recorded. That's why it's been distributed and continues to be distributed throughout the world so all of us can know and receive and hear this incredible news. 
But when Jesus was nailed to that cross, it wasn't his own sin that held him there. It was ours. It was ours. It wasn't his death that he died. It was ours. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we may we might be made right with God, clothed with the righteousness of Christ ourselves also, so that we might enter paradise alongside Him. As it was true for that criminal, so also it's true for all who trust Him. That Jesus takes the iniquities, the transgressions, the sins of everyone who calls Him their King. No matter where they come from, no matter what nation they're from, no matter who they are, high or low in the world, no matter how bad we've been, no matter what we've seen, no matter how good we've failed to be, all who trust Him can receive precisely the assurance, the salvation that that criminal received. Isn't that wonderful? The most wonderful thing that Jesus that Jesus promises paradise to all who would trust him. So how about you? As we gather here on Good Friday, how about you? Which, which group did you belong to? Which group did you belong to before you walked in the door today? For the king, rejecting the king shows up in our words and our actions. If you're not sure, maybe the people who live with you might be able to tell you. Because it always shows up, doesn't it? We all live public lives and we all struggle. We all struggle. So which group did you belong to before you came today? And what about now? Which group would you like to belong to as you leave here today? Which group do you want to belong to, not just for today, but in the future, so that you have the assurance, not just of a future pie in the sky when we die, but steak on the plate while we wait, mate. A, a life with Jesus as our King, following Him. This King who provides assurance of forgiveness even now for all those things that weigh us down, and eternal life for all who call on Him. Do you want that assurance today? Not just going home beating our breast because we're sad, but with delight because we know the King. Do you want that to be you today? Would you like to say yes to making Jesus your King today? Well, then let's approach Him and ask Him. Let's do this together in prayer. Let's ask him to do for you what he did for that criminal. And this is called praying. That guy had Jesus right there. He was able to talk specifically to him. Voices knowing who was speaking. Oh, this is how we do it today. With Jesus seated on his throne, we pray. And he promises when two or three are gathered in his name, he hears our prayers. He is the living saviour. Let's ask him to do for you what he did for that criminal. The words are on the screen. These are the words. You can see them there. I'll say them out loud, but I'm going to say them nice and slow. That'll give you a chance to, if you want to 
actually change sides and follow Jesus your King. But you can say them in the quietness of your own head, lay upon your own heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross in my place as my substitute. I recognise now that you were pierced for my transgressions and by your wounds I am healed. Please forgive me for rejecting you. Please give me life with you now as my King and eternal life with you forevermore. Please help me to live for you and your kingdom from now on. Amen. Now, if you've just prayed this prayer for the first time, or maybe renewing your following of Jesus, given your life to King Jesus, then right now there's a party going on in heaven. A little hard to hear from here, but we're assured in the Scriptures there's celebration always goes on amongst all those in God's kingdom when one of his precious children join that party. So, Let's celebrate. The kids are coming back in to celebrate with us. Let's bring the band forward. Let's celebrate these things as old followers and new followers of our great King Jesus. Will you stand and join us as we sing? Let's crown the King, crown him with many crowns. Please join us. Please stand. Stay, stay.